Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Well, good morning, Three Creeks. My name is Joel, and I don't have the flu this week. And I better not get it very often because my job could be taken from me by my incredible wife who just did an amazing job last week. I I actually opened up my Bible on Monday and saw the notes that she scribbled between 8.30 and 10 last week and just thought, I mean, I already knew she was the goat, but now I know she's the goat. Once again, she just proves that uh, she's the greatest. So I'm very thankful for my wife. Thanks for filling in. We're in week two of Come to Worship, and our series title is taken directly from Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. When the wise men were on their way to go see Jesus, they run into Herod, and this is what they asked him. They said, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Where is this baby? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And what I love about that is that they didn't come from far to go to get something from God. They came to offer worship to God. And tragically here in the United States, I think from time to time, we have made God into somewhat of a cosmic Coke machine, where if we put the coin in and pray the prayer and join the group or join the team or serve at the gift shop and try not to cuss and don't flip anybody off, God exists for us, and so if we pray, he'll answer it because he's created for our good. And friends, that's just not true. God, wasn't, God doesn't exist for us. We exist for God. We were actually created. We were created to be worshipers and to bring him honor and to bring him glory and to make him known. We're created to worship God. And I love that the wise men show up not to get something from God. They're not going and asking God to bless their plans. They just came to worship Him. It does beg the question, when you drive here on a Sunday morning, what are you coming for? You coming to get something from God? Are we coming to worship God? When I, when I say the word worship, what comes to mind? First thing for me is the songs we sing at the beginning of the service, right? It's our time of worship before the message, right? The band leader comes up and says, hey, will you stand and will you worship? And so that's the first thing to come to mind. And it's true that that is one way that we as humans can worship God, but it's not the only way. I want to talk about another way that us, that we can fulfill our purpose, another way that we can worship God. God. The title of today's message is Pour Out Your Heart. And what I want to talk today about, uh, talk to you today about is that pouring out our hearts to God is in and of itself an act of worship. And for those of you, some of you find yourself middle of December, Christmas is upon us and in full force. And some of us in the room find ourselves going, man, this is incredible. We are, I just feel blessed. I'm I'm so thankful. It's been a great year. 
with our family or with our careers and we go, man, Christmas just makes everything just feel magical. And I'm going inv- to give an invitation to you, if that's you today, to pour out your heart to God as an act of worship. Some of us in here, if I were to say, how are things going for you? You would say, I don't know, fine. Kind of bland right now. Not great, not terrible. Just kind of going through the things. You too, I'm going to give you an invitation at the end of this message to pour out your heart to God as an act of worship. And some of us, if we're, if we're being very honest, are going through a very difficult time right now. Christmas and Thanksgiving have a way of magnifying whatever we're feeling, right? If it's good, then it's really good around Christmas. But if it's hard, it's really hard right now. It seems like everybody else is having a lot more joy than you. Maybe financially right now, you're going, how am I going to afford Christmas gifts for my kids? Maybe you're going towards Christmas and somebody who was here last year for Christmas isn't here for this Christmas and it hurts on a deep level. Maybe relationally things are broken and it seems irreconcilable and you're hoping that people in your family can make amends before you get together for Christmas, but it just just doesn't feel good right now. Maybe you're afraid of something that's coming up. It feels like you're out of control. It feels you're filled with anxiety when you think about an upcoming meeting or appointment or report that you're going to get. And if that's you, if you go, yeah, that's honestly where I'm at, then I'm going to give you a chance today to pour out your heart to God is this act of worship about a God who cares about the people who are broken and hurting so much. Pouring out our hearts to God, telling them exactly how we're feeling, is in and of itself an act of worship. We're going to look at God's Word and and learn as an act of worship how to pour out our hearts to God. And I'm going to start today by just showing you a couple different passages of Scripture that David wrote in Psalms. And if you know anything about the life of David, a lot of highs, a lot of lows. David's the one who wrote about the valley of the shadow of death, and he's been through some of them. And I, want, I just want to read some of what David writes about how to pour out your heart to God. In Psalm 142, verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> David said this, I cry aloud to the Lord, I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. I complain to God before I tell him my trouble. I'm going to tell God my trouble. And and when David wrote this, I, I failed to mention this a minute ago, David was hiding in a cave, hoping that the people that were chasing him wouldn't find him and kill him. And he pours out his heart to God. In verse 3, it says, In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look, see, there's no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cannot catch a break. The people that used to like me don't like me anymore. It doesn't seem like anybody cares about me. I'm going through a very hard time, and it feels like no one is at my right hand. This is, these are the honest thoughts of David in Psalm 142. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He tells God how he feels. He pours out his heart, 
And then look what he says in verse 5. His tone changes. He says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. You are my refuge. And he uses that word refuge, and he's used it before. In Psalm 62, verse 8, look what he writes. He says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him. He tells all the people that you're allowed to pour out your heart to God. You're allowed to tell him everything that you're thinking and feeling. For God is our refuge. You are my refuge. And I looked up this word refuge, and and I was trying to figure out what it would have meant for David to keep saying this. And at the time in Israel, there were six cities that were called cities of refuge. And they they were cities where you could find safety and retreat from people who were coming after you. As an example, if you accidentally killed someone, then by law, if you stayed where you were at, somebody could take your life to pay for the life that you accidentally killed. But if you would go to a city of refuge, that was a place that you would be protected from that. It was a place of retreat, of safety. And David says, God is my refuge. God is my refuge. The fact that I can be with him is what makes me feel safe. I don't know about your kids, but from time to time, I have a six, a four, and a two-year-old. They get a little bit scared in the middle of the night. And sometimes it's thunderstorms, and sometimes, sometimes it's monsters under the bed, and sometimes it's any really number of things. Sometimes it's a miscommunication between Morgan and Grandma, because what happened is that Morgan went over to drop the kids off for a day at Grandma's house, and it was in the Christmas season, you know, so she said, you know, they don't have to take a nap today, maybe. They, you want to keep them up for a rest time. They've really been enjoying watching The Grinch. And so we're talking about the cartoon version, the new one, the one with like the neon colored Grinch. So I think it's kind of good. It's kind of cute. Well, grandma didn't know about that version. Showed him the Jim Carrey version. <laughs> and my kids, they wouldn't even go to sleep at night. They thought for sure the Grinch was in our house. We had to leave all the lights on for them to go to bed because they were so afraid of Jim Carrey attacking them in the night. When my kids get scared at night, what they do is they run up to my room. And it has nothing to do with my room. It has everything to do with my presence. Because you guys, the feeling of being safe is not about where you are. It's about who you're with. For my kids... If Jim Carrey, the Grinch, is in my house, he has access to the bedroom the same as he does their room. And it doesn't matter. If I was sleeping in the basement, they would come to the basement. Because it's not, the feeling of being safe is not about where you are, but it's about who you're with. Think about it. Were you, <laughs> were you ever afraid of monsters as a kid? Monsters in the closet or monsters under the bed. Isn't it amazing that when mom and dad are in the room, the monsters are supernaturally sealed into the closet and they cannot get out. They cannot crawl out from under the bed if mom and dad are in the room. But if mom and dad leave, then you better not let a limb hang over because the monster might snag you and and pull you under. Once again, the feeling of being safe is not about where you are, but rather who you're with. We're talking about being in the same bedroom and everything changes based on who is there. Now, listen, as much as I hate being woken up in the middle of the night, I love it when my kids need me. I love it. 
when they know that I'll comfort them. I love it that they think that I'm safe. And friends, in the same way, your heavenly father loves it when you need him. And maybe it's better put, he loves it when you finally recognize and admit that you need him. When you go to him for comfort, when you say that he is your refuge, when you think that he is the safe place, it honors God. It's an act of worship to pour out our hearts to God and say, this is where I'm at. I'm scared. I'm frustrated. I can't believe that you let that happen. I I love it that my kids know that I'm going to hug them and wrap them up and say, it's going to be okay. And God wants to do that for us. He wants us to run to the bedroom and say, Dad, I need your help. Can I just tell you what's on my mind? And the feeling of being safe is not about where you are, but it's about who you're with. And it's about believing that God really does care for us. I want to give you a chance at the end of this message to actually put this into practice and have four or five minutes to just sit here and pour your heart out to God. And before I do it, I just want to run through two things that I think that you can find from David that we ought to be thinking about when we pour out our hearts to God. The first one is this, as you pour out your heart, I want to encourage you to remember God's faithfulness in the past. Remember God's faithfulness in the past as you cry out to him. Reflect on the goodness and the faithfulness of God that has already brought you through some stuff. Let me point you to Psalm 42. We're not entirely sure who wrote this one, but most scholars believe that it was David when his son Absalom caused a mutiny against him. And the people were starting to wonder, maybe God has turned against David. Maybe David isn't God's man anymore. And I think this is what David wrote. He wrote in verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night. It means he just can't stop weeping and crying. Tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all, all day long, Where is your God? Where is he? In other words, people are asking, David, if God is good, how come he's not proving it to you? And if God is real and God is good, how come it doesn't seem that obvious? Where is your God, David? And David is being honest and he's pouring out his soul. And then verse 4, once again, you see David pivot. Look what he writes. He goes, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Remember the faithfulness of God in the past as we pour out our souls as I ache and as I hurt, as I mourn, these things I remember, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. And then, and then you can almost see the gears shift on the inside and he starts preaching to himself. I need to do this from time to time. David starts preaching to himself. He says, why my soul are you so downcast within me? Why are you so disturbed within me? And he tells himself, put your hope in God. Come on, David, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David is saying, it is not going great. Tears are my food day and night. My soul is downcast. I'm disturbed. But David, put your hope in God. I don't know about you, but if I'm pouring out my heart to God, if I'm telling him everything that I'm feeling, 
everything I'm confused about, everything that discourages me. It's good for me to remember the faithfulness of God and to do what David said is to put, put your hope in God. I've got to preach it to myself. Even this week, I'm just being honest with you that life has felt a little bit heavier. Something that's going on in my family just isn't going how it's supposed to go. And I had to look at myself this week and say, soul, why are you so downcast within me? Put your hope in God, Joel. Remember the faithfulness of God in the past. I, I, I think I've mentioned this, but I, I got to make myself clear that we got to get on the same page that we are allowed to complain to God. We are allowed to yell at God. We're allowed to be angry and confused and frustrated. And if we hide that in, it's not as if God doesn't already know it. It's not like you're going to surprise him and he's going to say, oh, I didn't even know you were upset. Everything that's already mulling around in our hearts and our minds, it's already there. He already knows all of our thoughts. And we're allowed to lay him before him and say, I am frustrated by this. I did not think that life would be like it is at this age. I'm giving everything I have to my marriage and it's not working right now. I'm giving everything I have to parenting and they won't listen at all. Nothing seems to work. Jeremiah, the prophet in Lamentations 3, he shows us for sure that it's okay to lay out our complaints. In chapter 3, the first 18 verses, this guy's had a bad month. And he just lays it out. He's just honest. He doesn't sugarcoat it. And he summarizes it. Look at this. He summarizes it. In 19, by saying, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. He's just gone through a litany of things that he's mad about, that he's frustrated about, that he's lamenting about, that he's mourning. And he says, I remember them all. My soul is downcast within me. He pours out his heart, and then verse 21 is so powerful. He says, yet this I call to mind. You see, Jeremiah, just his, his tone changes. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. In the middle of the desperate cry from his soul, he recalls the goodness of God. Yet this I call to mind. I'm going to choose to remember the faithfulness of God in the past. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He starts talking to God. He says, great is your faithfulness. Yet this I call to mind, and I have hope. We need to think back through what God has brought us through, and it'll give us faith to bring us through again. We need to think back to the time that you gave your heart and your life to Jesus and the weight of sin was lifted off of you for eternity. We need to think back to that time when we prayed that prayer and there's no way it could have been answered other than through the power of God. We need to think back to the time where financially it wasn't going good and you didn't know how things were going to work out, but it did and somehow he provided. We need to think back to a relationship that did not look like it could ever be healed and we go, 
but he did it. And when we, we think back and remember the faithfulness of God, it's like us saying what Jeremiah said, yet this I call to mind, I have hope. I was just thinking, I was just jotting down notes this week and I thought, what am I going to call? God, bring it to mind. This I call to mind. I remember. I remember, Julie. Oh, I remember. I remember praying for you with all of us and God healed your body. I remember it. And Cody and Mindy back there, I remember sitting in my breezeway. You guys have been trying to have a baby for five years and you said, man, forget the medical stuff and the hospital stuff. We're just going to pray this month. We're going to get everybody to pray. And Nora was back there today. You guys can't stop having kids. <laughs> I remember it. Yet this I call to mind. I remember, like, God, we want to adopt a baby. Could you make this happen for us? It feels like we've been waiting forever. Right now we're waiting again forever. But I remember getting that call saying there's a birth mom named Crystal. She wants to make an adoption plan for her baby. I remember FaceTiming during COVID with Morgan and meeting her. I remember going to the hospital and God just providing that gift for our family through that time. I remember, I remember, this is a hilarious one, but it's just what I, it's what I called to mind. I remember in 2010, I was, I was in the Bible Institute at Canuck and it was in March. I had worked for seven or eight months on, on all these different projects for the whole year. April's graduation, we're getting towards the end. And everything that I'd worked on was on this Toshiba computer. And, and it was kind of on its last legs, if we're being honest. The battery didn't work. You always had to have it plugged in. It took forever to turn on. And I dropped it. And I tried to push the power button, and it didn't work. And everything that I had was on that computer. And I remember going to the back porch, and I remember saying, this is so silly, God. But I just pray in Jesus' name that you will let this thing turn on so I can get things. I had an external hard drive ready to be plugged into it. It had not turned on. And as God is my witness, I pushed the power button and it turned on. And for 15 minutes, I dragged the files over onto the external hard drive. And as soon as they were over, it turned off and it never turned on again. So I'm telling you, if you have technological difficulties, <laughs> especially with Toshiba, yet this I call to mind, that God does hear my silly prayers, the things that are little and just matter to me, God still hears those. I'll just be honest and say, I am discouraged in our search for the well. It seems like every place I look either is already sold or it's too expensive or it's in the wrong spot. And it just, it's just so hard right now. Everything's so expensive and I can't, we can't land. It feels like I'm boogie boarding. You know what I'm saying? And the wave is going to come and it's like, oh, there's the one, there's the one. And I turn, it's like, never mind, that one flattened out. All right, all right, next one, next one. And it just feels like I'm going to wait in the ocean for like 20 minutes going, man, when is a wave going to come that's going to let me boogie board? I'm discouraged by it. Yet this I call to mind. I remember before we had any place to meet ever going into the Gahanna Jefferson Public School administrative offices. I had done the math on the computer on their little, you know, this is how much it's going to cost. And it was going to be over $3,000 a weekend to meet in Goshen Lane Elementary School. And if any of you were there, you'd think with that kind of money, they could have built walls a little higher in the bathroom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I went into the Jeff Gana Jefferson Public Schools knowing that we couldn't afford half that. And I just laid it out there. I said, listen, we can't even come close to that price. 
I said, we want to be a church that serves our city. We want to be a help, but we cannot afford that. And they said, well, what can you afford? I said, I don't know, 500 bucks. And they said, sure, we like that you're here. Let's do it. And so I go, yet this I call to mind. If God wants us, when the right space comes available, God's going to make it happen. And I think, I think he wants some credit. I think he wants it to be a little bit further and beyond our reach in a normal type situation. I think God wants us to put our faith in him and pray for it. And then we're going to get in there and go, no way, God, God did this. We didn't pull this off. God did this. Yet this I call to mind. When we pour out our hearts to God, we've got to remember the faithfulness of God. And if you're in such a bad spot that that's really hard to do, that's why you're here at church. You got to ask your brothers and your sisters to come around you and remind you of the faithfulness of God. I've been in such a dark spot before that it's hard for me to preach to myself. And so that's why I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to come and put their hands on me and say, we'll pray it for you. Maybe that's where you're at. Here's the second one. Trust in God's power for your future. Remember the faithfulness of God in the past and trust in God's power for your future. The psalmist in 102, he's at the lowest point you could imagine. And some of you, as I read this, are going to be able to relate to some of the language that the psalmist writes. He says, hear my cry, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Don't hide your face from me when I'm in distress. I'm distressed. Verse 5, in my distress, I groan aloud. I'm reduced to skin and bones. I just feel empty. I feel like I've lost all my energy. I feel apathetic. I don't have an appetite. I don't know what to do. Verse 7, I lie awake. I'm so stressed out, I can't even sleep. It feels like I'm a bird alone on a roof. So lonely. No one here to help me. And maybe you can relate where you go, it just seems like nothing is going right right now in your marriage, with your kids, with your money, with your friends, with your housing situation, with your extended family. It just seems like you're a bird alone on a roof. Nobody's there to take care of you. If there's anything, if there's a word that jumps off the page of what the psalmist writes, it's distressed. You feel distressed on the inside. And then there are three words in verse 12 that change everything. And this is how I'm going to kind of wrap it up here. Verse 12, the first three words, they change everything. The psalmist is writing that my life is falling apart. I do not understand. And I cry out to God from the depths of my soul. My enemies taunt me. But verse 12, but you, Lord. But you, Lord. I don't understand but you, Lord, are faithful. And I don't have the ability, but you, Lord, are powerful. I feel all alone, but you, Lord, have never left me. I don't know what to do, but you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations, including mine. And what I, what I hope happens as we wrap this up is that some of us in here have a but you, Lord, moment as we pour out our hearts to God. And this is what a but you, Lord, moment looks like. When we're pouring out our hearts to God, we're, we're just being honest. We're not sugarcoating it. We're letting it rip. 
We're just, we're, we're using descriptive words about how we're doing in our hearts. We let it rip before the Lord. It's not like he doesn't already know it. So we just let him have it. And then by the spirit of God, he gives us these, but you Lord moments. And what a, but you Lord moment is, it's when we push through the pain to get to the point of praise. I'm going to say it again so you get it. So we're going to, we're going to push through the pain so that we get to the point of praise. And and what it's going to look like is that we're going to be sitting there and we're going to be pouring out our hearts to God and we're going to be saying things like, financially, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I'm I'm trying to be generous. I'm trying to buy gifts, but I don't even know how this is going to work. It just feels like I'm in over my head. And then God's going to bring this moment where you're going to say, but you, Lord, you have taken care of me for all of my life and you will not let your children go hungry. You're going to say something like, Lord, it just feels like things are out of control. It feels like so many other people are coming at me and it just doesn't, I I just have no peace. And then you're going to have this, but you Lord moment where you're going to say, but you Lord, you've never forsaken me. You've always been with me. And I believe that you work together for the good of those who love you. And I love you. And so you, you push through the pain to the point of praise. And the point of praise is when you start saying out loud true things about God. Maybe you're afraid and you just say it. You say, God, I'm, I'm scared. I'm petrified. And the Holy Spirit brings you to this point where you go, but you, Lord, didn't give me a spirit of timidity, but you gave me a, a spirit of power and of love and of of self-discipline. You feel rejected, but you're going to push through the pain and you're going to say, but you, Lord, will never leave or forsake me. And at some point, when you have a but you, Lord moment, it's what, ha- what happens is you get to the end of your plead and you start to praise. You lay it out there before the Lord and then you say, but you, Lord, and you start declaring good things about him. And here's the catch. Let, let, let's just, let me, we gotta be on the same page about this. Here's the catch. We don't praise God because our circumstances are good. We praise God because he is good. Chances are, while you're pouring out your heart out to God in those three or four minutes, everything around you is not going to change, but your heart can. Everything's not going to work out perfectly, you know, after three or four minutes, boom. But your heart can change. And it's not, we don't do that because the circumstances are good. We do it because he's good. Friends, listen, we, when we reflect on the past, we can remember the faithfulness of God. He's faithful in the past. He's good in the present. We can trust him with the future. And so we push through the pain and get to the point of praise and we pour out our hearts as this act of worship to God. He loves it. He loves it when his kids come and say, I need somebody to talk to. I need some help. I don't understand what's going on. And so I just want to give us, I know life's really busy. So if we leave, we might forget to do this. So here's what I want to try to do. The band is going to sing a song called You Reign Above It All. And it's a song that is praised, declaring where Jesus sits in all of this. And they're just going to play it. And I'm asking you, this isn't like a stand and sing together worship song. 
We're going to worship differently during this song. We're going to pour out our hearts to God. And that looks like you sitting where you're at, putting your head down and just pouring it out. Just let it rip. We're allowed to let it rip. And over the course of these three or four minutes, as the band plays this song, I hope that God will give you a but you, Lord, moment where you push through the pain and get to the point of praise. And by the end of the song, maybe you're declaring true things about God, that he is good and he does care for you. At the end of you reign above it all, I'm going to come out and just pray over all of us. And, and I'll, I have one more thing for us to do, but let's just focus on this for now. Pour out your hearts to God as an act of worship while the band sings this song. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.